for the last few weeks, you have been going through a series called Unplugged, Reclaiming Real Life in a World of Devices. Um, I've spent the last few uh, weeks kind of following along with y'all. I just wanted to, to know where, where y'all were studying, what y'all were learning. And today we're going to kind of um, close that series and kind of really put a, no, a, a knot and a bow in that series. Um, today we're really going to talk about wisdom. Um, and if we're going to talk about today's title, if we're going to give a title for today, it would be that wisdom leads to life. Wisdom leads to life. And we want to see how wisdom can lead us to, to an abundant life. Um, so the first question that we want to ask today is, how do I wisely steward my life in a manner that pleases and honors the Lord? How do I wisely steward my time or my life in a manner that pleases and honors the Lord. So in the past few weeks, you've been considering things like, how do I parent, how, how do I parent my children in a wise manner, in a way that honors the Lord? How do I use my time in a way that's wise in order to honor the Lord? How do I find rest in a wise manner in order that I might honor the Lord? How do I interact with people, relationships, my family, friends, coworkers? How do I do that in a wise manner in order that I might honor the Lord? How do I use my money, my home, what God has given to me? How do I steward that properly in a way that honors the Lord? And so today we really want to look and focus on the idea of wisdom. What does that, what does that entail? What does that look like? So other questions we want to answer is, number one, what is what is a right understanding of biblical wisdom? What does the Bible say wisdom really is? We want to know and see how that differs from what the world says. Because there is a difference. There is a difference in what the world says is wisdom and what they say is wise. There's a difference between what God says is wise. We want to make that distinction today. We want to see if our if our personal definition of wisdom differs than the Bible's. We want to be able to, to figure out, in my, in what do I believe is wise? Is that different than what God says? Because if it does, we need to readjust it. We need to realign that. We want to ask the question, how do we get wisdom? It's a very important question to ask. How do we get it? How do we, how do we possess wisdom? The next question we want to ask, how do we keep it? And lastly, why do we even need to pursue wisdom to begin with? Those are some of the questions that we want to begin asking ourselves. What we do know, though, is that the world's definition of wisdom is different than what God says. Man's wisdom, um, man's wisdom is really um, knowledge, it's information, it's data. And when you take all that, what happens is it leads to self exaltation, self-preservation, and self-glorification. That's really the end of man's wisdom. How do I keep myself? How do I preserve myself? How do I glorify myself with this knowledge that I'm attaining? And how do I ultimately exalt myself? But God's wisdom, biblical wisdom, is much different. It's more than just knowledge. It's more than just knowing what God says. It's more than just knowing what God wants us to do, but it's, it's, the ability to, it's the ability to 
pursue God and to live and act and respond in a way that glorifies him? How do we, how do we live, act, and respond in a way that glorifies our God? So the first question we're going to ask ourselves today is, what shapes our idea of wisdom? What shapes our idea of wisdom? For some people, it's their experiences. Have you ever had an experience shape the way you think from something? Um, I remember I had some friends come. They went on a trip to India, and they came back, and they were super excited about the culture, about the Indian culture. And uh, she came back, and she took her brother, and she took me, and she took us to an Indian restaurant. And she said, you're going to love this. You're going to love this food, and it's the best thing I've ever had. So she goes, and she orders um, this dish. I have no idea what it is. Um, it comes with, you know, there's rice, and there's meat, and there's stuff in there. But it also comes with, like, this yogurt that you, like, pour over all this. And she's like, it's the best thing in the world. And I begin to eat this Indian food, and I quickly realize I did not like this at all. I did not like the taste. I did not like the spices. And that happened several years ago. This year, I went to India in January. And right before I left, I thought, I have no idea how I'm going to manage this week. Because I had an experience that taught me that this food was not delicious. And for for about 10 years, I had not touched that stuff. And so what happened was my experience taught me something. And um, what happened was I went to India and I actually tried good Indian food and realized that I actually enjoyed it. And it actually was extremely delightful. But see, many times experiences shape our thinking. It's very possible that your view of love is based on Hollywood. It's based on your favorite TV show. It's very possible that your, your, your view of marriage is based on your experience growing up. It's based on what you saw mom and dad do. It's very possible your view of parenting is, is a result of the same thing. That your experience in your home shaped that. And what you realize is many times that's contrary to what God's word says unless your parents were founded on God's word. So many times it's our experiences that shape our wisdom. Sometimes it's our culture. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Mexican. My parents are Mexican. And uh, we do culturally, we do cultural, we do culture differently. We have a different culture. Um, in the Hispanic community, um, the men, um, there's something, there's a word called machismo. Um, what that word means is that the man um, rules over the home in a domineering fashion. It's domineering. So much so that the dad always has the last word. And really, it's just the mom's job to kind of manage the children. If I learned from that cultural ex um, um, experience, that cultural teaching, that would be completely contrary to what God's word says. It says that the husband should love their wives as Christ loves the church. Completely, completely opposite. So sometimes it's very possible that your culture, that our American culture, is pushing ideas, 
pushing knowledge, pushing wisdom that is contrary to God's word. And it's very possible that things that you believe today are based on that and not on God's word. Have you ever heard time is money? Anybody ever heard that expression? What does God say about that? God says the root of all evil is the love of money. So if you spent all your time focusing on money and you began to love money and and desire money, you would be in complete contradiction to what God's word teaches. It would be, you would be following the world's wisdom and not God's wisdom. What about what goes around comes around? Anybody heard that before? What goes around comes around. The expression that if someone does something to you, that you should respond in the same way. That you should get them back for what they did. That's what, culture, that's what our culture teaches. What does God say? And he says that you should love your enemy. He, should, he says you should extend mercy to them because you have received a greater mercy from God. It's completely different than what the world says. So if you, if, you, if, you, if, if you see this, there's a difference between what God says and what the culture says. And so today we really want to look at God's word. Today we don't want to look at our culture. We don't want to look at our experiences. We don't want to look at our own ideas of what we think wisdom is and how we should live. We, we really want to go into God's word today. And we want to see what God says about wisdom. And why we should pursue it, why we should keep it, and why we should love it. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 4. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we have in the back, it's page 297. And what we're going to learn today is what God says about wisdom. And so as you turn to Proverbs chapter 4... Let's pray for this time. Let's pray God would teach us something new. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather with your people. Father, we pray that your spirit would come and teach us. Lord, we need your spirit to teach us from its word. We want to learn, Father, what you desire to learn from us. Or we desire to hear from you today. That we might be able to respond appropriately to who you are. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. In Proverbs chapter 4, um, Proverbs was written by a man by the name of King, he was King Solomon. He was Israel's second king. Um, and Solomon, he was asked by God. God said, I will give you whatever you ask for. Whatever you ask for, I will give you. And Solomon did not choose a bigger kingdom. He did not choose more wealth. He did not choose Um, to be able to do greater things, he chose wisdom. He asked God for wisdom. And so much so that God gave him wisdom. God gave him wisdom, so much so that the Bible says this was the wisest man to ever live. And so I want you to keep that in mind, because as we read Proverbs 4, this is coming from a man who asked God for wisdom, and God gave it to him. And he wrote this for us today. In this passage, Solomon's writing to his children, and he's wanting them to hear his words and to listen and to apply them. 
So think about it. If you have children here today, um, if you have uh, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, think about what you would tell them. Um, you would write that down. You would want them to know everything to live an abundant life. This is what we have in this por- portion of Scripture. So why don't we read Proverbs chapter 4, and what I'm going to do is we're going to read it by sections and kind of just walk through it. So verses 1 through 4 says, Hear, O sons, a father's instructions, and be attentive, that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, the tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast. Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. So in this first section of Proverbs, we see that Solomon is trying to do two things to his sons. Number one, he wants them to gain insight. You see that in verse one. He says, be attentive that you may gain insight. Solomon wants his sons to be informed. He wants them to gain understanding. He wants, them to, he wants them to hold fast and to keep a specific commandment. It was, what we see is this, he's, he's desiring that they not just have knowledge, but that their hearts are changed for, by wisdom. Another contrast between man's wisdom and God's wisdom is that man's wisdom is, is very cerebral. It's very mind-driven. And God's wisdom is actually a disposition of the heart. It's actually coming from the heart. It's actually changed because of the heart. And we're going to see that later on. The second thing that Solomon desires to do is found in the end of verse 4. He says, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. The second thing he wants him to do is live. So he he wants them to have an understanding. He wants them to have insight of of his teaching, all so that he might live. All of us were created for a purpose. We all have a purpose. As we've been talking to people in this community, as we've been trying to garnish conversations, the one reoccurring word that we keep hearing is hope. People are looking for hope. And they're looking for hope because God has instilled in their hearts eternity. And they are realizing that there is purpose to this life that they just don't know about. And what we see is that God has been creating and developing his people so that they would live abundantly. And so Solomon desires that his people would live that his children would live abundantly. And so he's writing to them this letter, this this portion of Scripture. Verse 5, let's read verses 5 through 9. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. 
So now he's, he's going to tell them how to do this. The first thing he tells them is, is to get wisdom. How do you find life? Get wisdom. How does one get wisdom? The Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Have you heard that before? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? What does that mean? Is that, does that mean we should be scared? Does that mean we should be reverent? There are two lenses to consider when discussing the fear of the Lord. There are two types of lenses. One is for the person who fails to view God as God is biblically supposed to be viewed. So the Bible says that God is holy, he is perfect, that there is no one like him. He is absolutely perfect. He is without sin. The Bible also says that man is not. That man has sinned, man has transgressed, and because of that, there needs to be payment for that sin. So there are two lenses. The first one is the person who says either God is not holy and perfect or that God is not or that I am not broken or sinful and, or I have not offended God. So this is lens one. How should this person fear the Lord? This type of person ought to have a terrorizing fear before their God. They should view God, and as they hear about God, they should be utterly scared because their sin has not been paid for. And the transgression of sin is death. And so this aspect of the fear of the Lord is terrifying. We see this in the Bible. In the beginning, God made Adam and Eve, and he made them perfect. And he said, you can, you can have anything in the garden, but you cannot eat of this one tree. And Adam makes the mistake of disobeying God. Adam makes the mistake of not listening to God. And Adam sins. And do you know what the first thing Adam does? It says that God was coming, looking for Adam. He was calling for Adam, looking for Adam. It says that Adam hid. Adam Hid. He hid from the Lord. He hid from the Lord because he was ashamed of his sin. But he hid from the Lord because he had transgressed a holy God. So one aspect of the fear of the Lord does involve terror. For the person in here who does not know Jesus, you should terrorize God because your sin has not yet been paid for. But there is hope. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. The second view of God's fear of the Lord is for the person who understands God's holiness. He understands their sinfulness. And he understands that there is redemption in Jesus Christ. That there is redemption in Jesus Christ. So this is a, there's a reverent fear of the Lord. There's a fear that leads to obedience. It's a knowledge that draws us closer to God because we understand God's mercy. We understand God's forgiveness. We understand God's love. We see this with Isaiah, uh, a man who had a vision of the Lord 
and he's standing and he's realizing, I'm in the presence of God. And he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I should not be here. I should not be before my God. And God comes and he cleanses him. He purifies him in order that he might stand in the presence of God, in order that he might worship in the presence of God. So there's two types of fear. There's a fear who, who rejects God's holiness or rejects their sin. And there's, a, there's a fear that judgment is coming. There's a second type of fear that understands God's holiness, understands that there's sinfulness, understands that Christ has come to pay that debt It's a fear that leads to reverence and obedience to God. Very very simple question to figure out where you are in the spectrum here. When you think about God, what do you do? Do you flee? Or do you draw close to God? When you think about who God is, his character, his nature, are you running away from God? Or are you drawing near and close? Now we understand Solomon's urgency. If the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, is to have a proper understanding of who God is, their sin, and God's redemptive plan, we see, we see why Solomon was so urgent. Look at verse 5. He says, get wisdom. He says, don't forget it. He says, don't turn away. Verse, verse 6, don't forsake her. Love her. Verse 7, he repeats the commandment. Get wisdom. Get insight. Look at verse 8. Prize her. Embrace her. Why? Because that, was, that meant that, that the children were understanding who God was, who God is, what his character was like, what his nature was like. Look at why Solomon told them to get wisdom. Verse 6, she will keep and guard you. She will protect you. Verse 8, she will exalt and honor you. Verse 9, she will place a garland and crown on your head. In verse 9, you see that there's, there's an aspect of victory or life in that imagery. Solomon was desirous that his children would know wisdom so that they would have life. The second aspect of finding life through wisdom is to hold fast to wisdom. Verses 10 through 19. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprighteousness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on. Turn away from it. Pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. Verse 17, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteousness is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know, they do not know over what they stumble. The second insight is to hold fast to wisdom. 
In this section, there's two paths. Solomon lays out the first path is the path of the uprighteous. Verse 12, it says that this path is a safer path. The path of wisdom is a safer path. It might not be easier, but it's definitely safer. Verse 13, look, it leads to life. The path of the righteous is leading to life. This is the way of wisdom. You contrast that to the, to the second path, the path of the wicked, verses 14 through 17. Man, when you look at that passage, look at, look at the, the, there's evil in this path. There's destruction. He's trying to get his children to avoid this path, to stay away. They are unable to sleep until they feel their urges. And so Solomon is saying, you need to not only get wisdom, you have to hold on to wisdom because there are two paths at all times. There's the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. And our hearts, even as we believe in Jesus Christ, are so weary. They're so, as the hymnist says, so prone to wander. That was the problem of the people of Israel. God had delivered them from slavery. Can you imagine? They were, they were slaves at one point and God freed them from that. And can you imagine that they would return to do the same things that they were doing in their time of slavery? Wouldn't you think that a people freed from slavery would go and, and listen to the God that saved them? Why would they? Why didn't they? Because their hearts were so prone to forget and to wonder what God had done for them. And just like them, you and I today have that same proneness. We're quick to wander. And Solomon is saying, you need to hold on to wisdom. You need to hold on to the fear of the Lord. You need to hold on to his character and to his nature and to the things that he has done because there will always be two paths. And you will always have to choose. Will you follow God in the way of righteousness or will you follow the foolish man in the way of wickedness? And he's trying to teach his children to hold fast. Look at the distinction in verses 18 and 19. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter. Until the full day, the way of the wicked is like the deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. One way, the way of the, the righteous provides hope. Do you see that? It's like the light of the dawn. There's a new morning coming. It shines brighter and brighter. The way of wisdom, the way of righteousness provides hope. Look at the way of the wicked. It's deep darkness. It's so dark, they can't even see where they're going. Are you holding fast to wisdom? Where do you find yourself today? Do you find yourself full of hope? Do you find yourself holding on to a lasting hope like McKinley talked about this morning? Or do things around you currently seem hopeless? Do things around you currently seem hopeless? Like there is nothing, that there's just darkness. The 
the last insight in finding life. First, get wisdom. Secondly, hold fast to wisdom. And lastly, hide wisdom in your heart. Hide wisdom in your heart. If wisdom comes from fearing the Lord, fearing the Lord comes when our hearts have been transformed by God. Comes when our hearts have been transformed by God. Not changed, transformed. Completely new, the Bible says. The Bible says when you come to Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come in. It says that you had a heart of stone and God removes that and puts a heart of flesh. The Bible says that once you were dead, but you have now been made alive in Christ Jesus. Fear in the Lord comes when you understand that God is holy, that you are sinful, and that you are in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for those sins. And three days later, he rose again to bring about the hope that Solomon is talking about. The hope that the, that the sun will rise and that it will be brighter and brighter knowing that Christ is one day coming again. And this is why it has to be hidden in our hearts. So as we close really quickly, how do we apply this? How do we apply this to like everyday life? How do we make this practical? First question we need to ask is, are we wisely stewarding our lives in a manner that shows that we fear God? Are we living our lives in a manner that shows that we fear God? Are we living our lives in a wise manner? Or are we living our lives in a way that shows that we don't? That we don't care that God is holy. That we don't care that he is perfect. That we don't care that he is worthy of our attention, our affections, and our desires. Is the way that we're living indicative that we truly fear God? Let's, let's just use one example. Time. Everybody has Time. We always say we don't have enough time. We don't have enough time. The psalmist says, he prays, he says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. For the psalmist, he understood that time was limited. He understood that time was precious. He understood that what we did with our time mattered. And his prayer was, teach me, Lord, that one day I will cease to exist so that I might properly live my life in a way that fears and honors you. Paul says in the New Testament, we ought to redeem the time because the days are evil. He says we have to be, make the best use of our time because we're living in evil times, evil days. How do you use your time? Are you using your time in a way that is wasteful or using your time in a way that advances the kingdom? 
because you understand the fear of the Lord. He is holy. He is perfect. His kingdom matters. And thus, we ought to be advancing that kingdom. Are we wisely stewarding the time that God has given to us? Are we doing that wisely? Are we, are we understanding that God has steward to some of us families and children that need to be taught the word of God? Do we see that there's a wise manner in stewarding our time with our families? Or, or is four hours of Netflix really worth the destruction of your family? Is, is it really worth the time what you're doing? Is it really wise? Your neighbors, your friends, do you see that the time you have with them is temporary? Do you know that it's very possible that one day you move away or they move away or you pass away or they pass away and that you have a limited amount of time to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ? Is how you live with your neighbors, your friends, your families, your coworkers indicative that you truly fear God? That you truly understand that he is holy and worthy of their attention, of their desires, of their affections. How should we respond this morning? See, we believe that God's word is living and active. We believe that it is able to teach us. And so what we have to do today is ask the question, how do I respond to what God has said through his word? One response is to completely ignore God and his word. The second response is to hear God's word and to obey. How should we obey today, church? First, if you're here today, you have never believed that Jesus Christ is your savior and your Lord. You've never understood that God is holy that you are sinful, that Jesus Christ came to pay your debt by dying on the cross. If you had never heard that message or you had never believed that message, the wisest thing you could do today is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ came to die for your sins, that, he, that through his death and resurrection you might find life abundantly and hope. The wisest thing to do today is to respond by believing that. And as we end, if that's you today, would you come talk to me, talk to Scott, talk to Jonathan and say, I want to believe, I want to know more about that story. We would love to share that with you. For the, for the believer in the room, are there areas in your life that you have foolishly been living? Have you mismanaged your time? Have you mismanaged your family? Have you mismanaged how you interact with coworkers? Have you been living in a way that is indicative that God is holy? That you truly fear the Lord? Or have you been living in a manner that shows that maybe God is not even present in your life? What you ought to do today as the spirit begins to reveal things in your heart, is to repent. 
and to confess that. 1 John 1, 9 says that if you confess your sins, believers, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And so if you have been living in a foolish manner, the call today is just to repent. And then to begin to ask God and to begin to read his word to see, to see how do I live in a manner that's wise? How can I use my home in a wise manner? How can I use my money in a wise manner? How can I use my time in a wise manner? How can I lead my family in a wise manner? How do I have conversation with coworkers, neighbors, friends in wise manner? How do I serve the church in wise ways? How do I change my life completely in a wise way that will bring honor and glory to our God? That's our call today, church. He is worthy of our attention. He is worthy of our affections. He is worthy of our desires because he is holy, perfect, and there is no one like him. As we close, as I pray, would you begin, even in your time, to respond to God, to pray to him, to to ask for forgiveness. And if you're here today and you want to hear more about Jesus, would you come and talk to us? Just, Just come and approach us so we can share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, Father, that you have given to us that teaches us indeed how to live a wise and abundant life. We thank you, Father, because you have shown us your character and your nature through your word. And you show us, Father, that we are indeed sinful sinners. But Lord, we rejoice in knowing that you have also revealed through your word the person of Jesus Christ. And he was willing to come and to die on our behalf. That he rose again on the third day to bring us life. And for that reason, we gather this morning before you, our God, to humble ourselves, to exalt your name. I pray for the people of Nashua that gather at this church today. Father, would you help direct their hearts and their minds to live in a way that pleases and honors you, that is indicative that they truly, as one people, fear you. And through that living, Lord, would they have an impact on this community on the people around them, on their friends, on their neighbors. Father, would you help us to live today in a wise manner, in a way that fears you, in a way that honors you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.